0: to buy this book. So it became my first bestseller. Now what I love something different in my life? When Frank Muller read The Prince of Tides, I didn't think a better version of this book was even possible. He showed me things in this book I did not even know existed. And when you listen to Frank on this, and Frank uh, died tragically several years ago, but you will see Frank Muller and hear Frank Muller as extraordinary best. And when you hear this man's voice reading my work, my gratitude toward him is this. He gave me, Pat Conroy, the author, he gave me a work of art. And I've been grateful to him ever since.
1: Prologue. My wound is geography. It is also my anchorage, my port of call. I grew up, slowly, beside the tides and marshes of Colleton. My arms were tawny and strong from working long days on the shrimp boat in the blazing South Carolina heat. Because I was a wingo, I worked as soon as I could walk. I could pick a blue crab clean when I was five. I had killed my first deer by the age of seven, and at nine was regularly putting meat on my family's table. I was born and raised on a Carolina Sea island, and I carried the sunshine of the low country inked in dark gold on my back and shoulders. As a boy, I was happy above the channels, navigating a small boat between the sandbars with their quiet nation of oysters exposed on the brown flats at the low water mark. I knew every shrimper by name, and they knew me and sounded their horns when they passed me fishing in the river. When I was ten, I killed a bald eagle for pleasure, for the singularity of the act. Despite the divine, exhilarating beauty of its solitary flight over schools of whiting, it was the only thing I had ever killed that I had never seen before. After my father beat me for breaking the law and for killing the last eagle in Colleton County, he made me build a fire, dress the bird, and eat its flesh as tears rolled down my face. Then he turned me into Sheriff Benson, who locked me in a cell for over an hour. My father took the feathers and made a crude Indian headdress for me to wear to school. He believed in the expiation of sin. I wore the headdress for weeks until it began to disintegrate feather by feather. Those feathers trailed me in the hallways of the school as though I were a molting, discredited angel. "'Never kill anything that's rare,' my father had said. "'I'm lucky I didn't kill an elephant,' I replied. "'You'd have had a mighty square meal if you had,' he answered. My father did not permit crimes against the land. Though I have hunted again... All eagles are safe from me. It was my mother who taught me the southern way of the spirit in its most delicate and intimate forms. My mother believed in the dreams of flowers and animals. Before we went to bed at night as small children, she would reveal to us in her storytelling voice that salmon dreamed of mountain passes and the brown faces of grizzlies hovering over clear rapids. "'Copperheads,' she would say, "'dreamed of placing their fangs in the shin bones of hunters. "'Ospreys slept with their feathered, plummeting dream cells "'screaming through deep, slow-motion dives toward Herring. "'There were the brute wings of owls and the nightmares of ermine, "'the downwind approach of timber wolves and the night stillness of elk. "'But we never knew about her dreams.' For my mother kept us strangers to her own interior life. We knew that bees dreamed of roses, that roses dreamed of the pale hands of florists, and that spiders dreamed of luna moths adhered to silver webs. As her children we were the trustees of her dazzling, even songs of the imagination. But we did not know that mothers dreamed. Each day she would take us into the forest or garden, and invent a name for any animal or flower we passed. A monarch butterfly became an orchid kissing blacklegs. A field of daffodils in April turned into a dance of the butter ladies bonneted. With her attentiveness, my mother could turn a walk around the island into a voyage of purest discovery.